Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Greetings, everyone. It's Hugh Ballou. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. Each week, we interview somebody with specialized knowledge, experience. Many times, it's a nonprofit leader with a story of what worked and what didn't work. The rest of the time, we got business professionals that are teaching us what we need to know about their area of attracting business. Now, we've talked about this before, and we're running a, a tax-exempt business. And it's really important for us to embrace, learn and embrace and install good, sound business principles. And so many of us struggle with why doesn't my social media strategy work? Well, I've got somebody that's very gifted, very experienced and very enthusiastic and has clients. She helps them figure it out. And, you know, it's a changing space. It changes so you have to stay abreast. True, but Sarah, Sarah lives in the uh, Los Angeles area. Uh, Sarah, Aliyah, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Tell people a little bit about who Sarah is and why do you do this kind of work? Thank you so much, Hugh. As much as I love the internet and social media, of course, there are some glitches. So just letting the audience know, sometimes the internet can be a little spotty. And as you can see, one of my four dogs right here behind me. So if you hear some barking, I promise you it's not me. <laughs> but that's one thing that I love about social media. You get to be social. You meet so many different people, different walks of life, different journeys. And that's really what got me here. I remember starting as a young, young teenager, throwing parties and events, and I loved to be social. I loved to meet different people. Then it moved into management, and I loved to manage teams and build teams. Then I got into PR because I like to talk, and I like to talk about people. I like to edify people, and so it turned into PR. And quickly, I realized that my experience in sales and marketing and my experience in PR all started to come together where I was result driven, but I was also people driven. And that's where social media just kind of landed right in my lap. And about five years ago, we started Socialite, my business partner and I, and it has been one crazy, fun, exciting ride. And I'll tell you that the reason I do it the most is because I not only get to connect with my client, but I get to connect with my clients' clients and my clients' audience, audiences. And it's amazing what you can do with a social media platform. There's so many times that I read direct messages from my clients' pages where someone says, I heard your song and it stopped me from committing suicide. Hey, I saw this, this recipe you posted about helping with diabetes and I'm off my medication. And this is all from experts sharing their knowledge to the world and impacting people. And so I get to do that every day. That, you make everything fun. This sounds like a whole lot more fun. <laughs> um, there's a mystery to this. Um, I never thought about social media, media being a, a, func a PR function, but it is a PR fun function. And Absolutely. so talk more about social media is social. Now, even people who are not extroverts like us can be social <laughs> on social media. So what's it about? Is it about sending out a message and wondering if people are going to respond to that just posting? What's this social media all about? What's that? that makes it work? Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a great question. And I'll tell you that it's authenticity. When you come up and you're authentic, people resonate with that. They know, hey, this person is really being them and it looks like me. And that's where you get to connect with people. Yes, social media is social. And like you said, you don't have to be an extrovert. I know so many introverts on social media that are doing very well. They're not filming videos. They're not posting selfies. They're just putting out information and they're doing really smart things. They're looking at what are the questions people are asking. Hugh and I, you, talk, you and I talked about this. What is the questions that people ask about social media? When you can think about that, put yourself in the position of your audience. What do they want to know? What are they asking every day? What are they seeking? And then you have to, you get to 
look at that information and write the response for it. So it's so cool. You know, you said it's a social media avenue or tool. It's a marketing tool. It's an awareness tool. There's so many different ways to use social media. The great thing is that it just becomes part of your day. If you think about social media, not as, oh, I need to be on there, but I get to be on there. If you look at it as, I don't have to post every day. I get to post when I want to, when I feel like it's the best. When you have the approach of, let me just test and try and be authentic and put out stuff that I know people are searching for and I have the answers. It makes the pressure of, I need to post every day at nine o'clock and 12 o'clock. It takes that pressure away and it allows you to be just a little bit more you, flexible and a lot less stress. Okay. Um, so we um, had to take care of a little technology there. So Sarah, um, I see a lot of people doing things that are about me, about me, about me, about me. And, you know, I'll see a lot of what I think is improper use of the platform. And I don't care what platform it is, there's improper use of it. Now we'll talk uh, hopefully a little bit later about what platform would be better for what kind of messaging. But if we're just talking about us and talking about do this or come try my this, What's the result of that without any reciprocal conversation or relationship building? You know, the interesting thing is I see a lot of people talking about themselves too. And I have a lot of conversations with people that say, how do I get me out there? And I want to get my face out there. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I will say that when people are looking for answers, it's not always found in the person, but in the person's journey or in what the person is sharing. So when I talk to my clients about social media, I always want to bridge a gap. You have a podcast, there are listeners. What has to happen in between for the listeners to reach your podcast and subscribe? Same thing with blogs and all those different things. When we think about showing up on social media, the first thing is, what is it that you want people to know about you? What is it people, what do you want people to know about your journey or your service or what you're offering? and then create those bridges. So there's this sense of solution providing, which is what people are looking for. Everyone is looking for a solution right now. Even if it's entertainment, even if people just want to be entertained, there's a solution for that. There's a platform for that. So I'll definitely say that we can't make it all about us, but we do have the opportunity to be in the equation, of course. So for example, if I'm an influencer and I want to talk about mental health awareness, I can talk about my journey and my experience, but I should also look at what are people searching? What are people looking for? And then provide that solution for them. Love it. If you just come by here, just joined us. We're talking to uh, Sarah Olia, who um, has founded a company called Social Light. It's S-O-C-I-A-L-L-I-G-H-T-L-L-C.com, Social Light LLC. And it's quite an impressive site. Um, so we talked about, I said that I was thinking as a PR function to social media. There's also a marketing function. There's also a relationship building function. Yes. And then it all comes under this big umbrella of communications. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, like leadership, people's got different ideas, but that's a very misunderstood word. And people say, oh, we don't communicate. So there's a lot of pieces to that. One of which is building relationships because people yes. really care, care about what you're saying. Yes. Uh, rapport is so important. And, and that's something that I've known, but I'm learning even more of is when you have rapport with someone, you can communicate on a different level. When you have rapport with someone, there's trust there, there's value there. That's when you can really have a great, you know, great conversation. How do you get rapport with followers? How do you get rapport with tens of thousands of people if that's who you're in front of? And I think that that's where showing up authentic, showing up with solutions, with advice, with um, your expertise, that helps to build rapport. And just like you said, Social media has so many different facets and we haven't even started talking about the actual platforms themselves. We're just talking about the idea of social media. 
when you start to talk about the individual platforms, how you build rapport and communicate with people on those platforms also changes based on how our mind is working while we're on those platforms. There's definitely a science behind social media, just like there's a science behind all the different marketing tools. I will say that social media is a great place to build your brand awareness, to build your voice, and it is a great place to market your brand because there's several opportunities for call to actions, which is something that my team will tell you. Every caption has to have a call to action, even if it's just drop a comment, like my page, uh, click this link to learn more, download my free ebook. There's so many different call to actions, and every time you post, you should offer one. Every time you post, you should offer a call to action. Absolutely. Give us an example. I, I find that is lacking, severely lacking in most every presentation I see, a very clear call to action. People want to know what to do. Absolutely. People want to be told what to do more than we think that we think they do. We want to know what to do with the information you're giving us. Here's the thing, it doesn't matter what your brand is, it doesn't matter what you're promoting, you should always ask someone to partake in it. So for example. If I'm on YouTube right now and I go to any channel, 90% of their time, they're going to ask you to subscribe. They're going to ask you to like. And I'll tell you that as an avid YouTube watcher and I love to follow different people's journey on there, that's what I do. If I like the content and they've asked me, I will subscribe. Most of the time, we don't get something because we haven't asked for it. And so in a call to action, that's what you want to think about. What do I want to ask people for today? I'm giving you something and I want to ask for something in return. For example, if you're putting a recipe, you can simply ask, share this to a friend that you think would really enjoy this. Share this to your fellow vegan. Share this to your favorite meat eater. You're just asking for them to do a simple share. And you know what's interesting is that when we read that, it then makes us think, oh yeah, I do have that friend that's a vegan that might like these cupcakes. Or hey, I, I do have a friend that their son is looking for a private school right now. So just by asking, it allows the reader to then take initiative in your post. Now, here's the cool thing. That's the communication and the rapport part, the PR and the marketing part. But there's also an algorithm part. When Facebook or Instagram sees that someone has taken initiative on your post, they're liking it, they're commenting, they're sharing it. Facebook then says, ooh, people like this post. Instagram says people are interested in this post, so we must show it to more people because we want to in turn keep people on our platform. So for showing this content to more people, more people will stay on the platform. It rewards the user and it rewards the technology behind it. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. So there's a, <laughs> you know, there's language that goes with this. Absolutely. Nor, and I, just there's a subtlety in the language that you use that I would like to highlight here. Um, if I want to have 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 cooked a cake and I want to share it with my wife, I share it with. But you use the word share too. Share is actually a function that you share to somebody. And that's a very important distinction in social media, especially with, with Facebook. There's, there's the share the share function. So it's, it's a promotion of sorts. Now, a lot of us say, I don't want to toot my own horn. How do you answer that? You got to toot your own horn. Nobody else will. Absolutely. Edify yourself. I mean, that there's nothing wrong with saying that I'm great at this and that's why you should read this. I'm great at this and this is why. I've seen this success and I want to share this success with you. There's, there's no... There's no problem with that. Now, obviously, if there's a little ego behind it, people are going to read that. And so you want to put that one aside. But having confidence in what you do and what you offer, that's the whole reason you're doing it. If you're working for a nonprofit, it's the same thing. Hey, we're providing this service and it's helped tens of thousands or hundreds or 15 people. That alone speaks volumes that what you offer has helped people and it can help you too. That's a great thing to say. We have a group of students watching you that are in a communications class. And I'm sure later on we'll entertain some questions and they are likely to be under the topic of communication, but not only. Um, so I think one of the great speakers, um, George Bernard Shaw um, said, the, the, the biggest misunderstanding about communication, the biggest fallacy is that it actually occurred. Um, so we can send messages out. So I think this whole being active, being there, being transparent, having conversations, being social, um, is a big part of communication. So that's, uh, let's, let's, you've alluded to, it, alluded to it a few times. Let's get to it. Um, 
I'm not a fan of Facebook, so I don't really get it. Mm -hmm. But I get Twitter and I get LinkedIn. I sort of get Instagram. Um, and then I use some bookmarking uh, sites and, and microblogs like Tumblr and, and Dig and some of those just to have it out there um, as, as more presence. Because I find that people have more than one platform that they look at and it, they're different combinations. So sort out the multiple platforms available and how do we even go about, suppose we have some some platform, but not really a robust one. And do we need a business platform or a platform for a nonprofit in addition to the personal? So talk about the platforms and then how do you show up as a personal and add your business to it or talk about that. Absolutely. I want to start where you started. You said the different platforms that you're on. Hugh, my question for you is, are you your own customer? When you look at your customer, do you see yourself in the audience as well? Never thought of that. Duh. I would say yes, because you run nonprofits, you help nonprofits, and then you have a business that supports nonprofits. So it's natural that you're gravitating towards those platforms because that's where you live and thrive and that's where your audience lives and thrives. I get the question so often, do I need to be on everything? And I'm like, okay, well, there's a million ways to slice this. Let's dive into that. Number one, I think you should have a presence as in own the username on every platform. The way technology changes, you never know if Facebook's just going to end up exploding, launching this LinkedIn part of it. And the next thing you know, that's the platform for you to be. So you at least want to own your name there. You want to own your per personal name, you want to own your business name, you want to own your nonprofit name. Now, where you're going to spend your time is where your audience is. I will say that Facebook pages, personal and business, are very different than Facebook groups. And I love to push nonprofits, businesses, communities. If you feel like your business is a community, the place to be is Facebook groups. That's where you want to spend the time. The reason is because it's like a personal page with a business feel. You can add rules, you can pin things, you can have different um, events. Facebook groups, whether it be private or public, is really where you want to spend your time as a business. And then for all the other platforms, Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok, it just comes down to where does your audience live and are you willing to experiment? I remember when TikTok came out, I said, I'm not creating a TikTok. 13 year olds are dancing on there. I don't belong on the platform. And I told myself that for a while. I even remember when quarantine hit, I said, I'm not dancing on TikTok because I saw all my friends getting on there with their kids and their friends and their dogs and they're making TikTok videos. And then all of a sudden I realized everyone's on TikTok. In fact, the audience is older and older and older and their algorithm is genius. It will put the right content in front of the right people because it wants to keep you on the platform. So one, I think the rule of thumb is own your business name, your personal name on every social media site so that you have it just in case. Find the platforms where your audience is there and build your audience there first so you can gravitate to your audience, to your customers, to your clients, start building your ROI. So find your audience, start with those platforms and then experiment on the other ones. I remember I never experimented with Pinterest. I spent a lot of time on Pinterest. I loved getting inspired and finding different quotes and different nail ideas and you name it, I was finding it on Pinterest. Then when I started to work with more holistic and wellness businesses, people that were putting out different designs, creative stuff like that, and was moving away out of the entertainment side, I realized, hmm, Pinterest is the platform to experiment on. And I have clients that have hit thousands of impressions and they're averaging around 400,000 impressions a month just on Pinterest. And it's a great place to drive traffic from one platform to any call to action, website, blog, podcast, you name it. So it's a lot of noise and a lot of people are expressing opinions about certain things today. Um, I don't want to get suck, <laughs> sucked into that that fray of the, the elevated anxiety because it just makes me angry. And really, um, I don't think anybody holds all the secrets to any topic. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's good to hear contrasting points of view, but it cutting through the noise. Now, I've tried as a, as a lame non-professional in social media, posting and hoping people see it about events. I've also tried 
running some Facebook ads, and I don't think there's been much traction to those. And I'm not sure who who sees my posts, and I'm not sure if the algorithms. And I'd ask you to explain what that means. The algorithms are are disfavoring me or favoring me. I don't I don't know how to measure that. So they favor your content based on how pe- how many people are interacting with it, and they kind make little tests and they really are the rule of thumb. When I say they, I just mean the science and the technology behind the social media platform. So for example, um, we'll just use this little selfie light. This little selfie light pops up on my feed. I have an opportunity to continue to just swipe past it, to like it, to share it, et cetera. Now, if I don't do anything and I just swipe by, they, they see that. If five more people just swipe by, they see that and Facebook or Instagram says, this content's not interesting. We're not going to show it to more people because they're not interested in it. Now, if I liked it and then I shared it and then I saved it and then the next person liked it and saved it and the next person liked it and shared it, now Facebook is saying, wait a minute, people like this content. I need to show more people this content. So then the question is, well, how do I get those five, six, seven, a hundred people who first land on my content to do something? That's where the call to actions come into place and asking There are so many times I create graphics and at the bottom of the graphic, I will literally have an arrow that says like right here, save right here, share right here. And it then kind of gives you this, oh, I can do something with this. Oh, I can do something with this. Now that works a little bit better on Instagram than it does Facebook, but Facebook, you just leave a comment, ask a question. That's my number one little kind of hack. Ask a question. It encourages the user to leave a comment. When they leave a comment, it notifies their other followers that they're engaging in this and the algorithm is somewhat hacked. So for example, if you're posting an event, maybe you ask a question of, what are you doing on Friday night? Or like, tell me your plans Friday night. This is what I'm doing. People might go on there and say, ordering pizza, watching a movie, hanging on their friends. It's completely unrelated to your event but it's driving traffic to that post where then more of your followers who may be interested in your event will see it. This is the same thing on Instagram. It doesn't work so well on Pinterest, but it does on, on YouTube. And here's the other thing. If you're not interacting, why will other people interact with you? This is one thing I've learned just in life with my friends. If I'm not going to drive out to their birthday parties and their baby showers and their stuff, how am I going to expect them to come to mine? It's the same concept on social media. There's a nice little trick that my team does that I love. It's another hack, we like to say it. What we do is before we're gonna post for our clients, we engage for 30 minutes. So what does this mean? I post some stories, I like some posts, I respond to some comments. Maybe I look up some of the hashtags I'm gonna use in the post, we interact with those hashtags. And I'm active on social media for about 30 minutes. Then we put out the post and then I'm active for another 30 minutes. We call this the power hour. You can also do this for 30 minutes, 15 minutes before you post, 15 minutes after you post. What it does is you're engaging with people, which is telling Instagram and Facebook you're active. And then those people that you have just, we'll call it a reward. Those people that you just rewarded by engaging with their content are saying, oh, Hugh just popped up on my timeline or Hugh just commented on my post. I'm going to comment back. Instagram's going to say these two people know each other like each other, so I'm going to show them their content. Now you're showing up in their feed naturally just because you engaged with them. So there is a little bit of you reap what you sow going on in the social media algorithms as well. And how would somebody normally know that? I guess I guess you have a blog and you post and you do social media stuff and you tell people this stuff, right? Absolutely. And I'm in a large community of other social media managers and other social media mm-hmm as agency owners. And we always chat about this stuff and we test it. My team, we like to say that we're glorified fact checkers. We Google is our friend and we love to be myth busters. And we'll see something and say, okay, this girl's getting a ton of views saying this works. Let's try it. And it doesn't work. Or we try it and it works. And when it works, we implement it. I never like to call myself a social media expert because things change so rapidly that if I don't stay on top of it, I can really lose that expert title because what I'm using is old and they're not current kind of algorithm hacks or tricks. So we have to stay on top of it. And I will say, in so just in my phone, I have, of course, my, my team chat here, but then we also have this little, you'll see a bomb there. That's just for social media hacks. 
And my team, even one o'clock in the morning, somebody will be watching a YouTube video and they'll send it into the chat and then we'll all rewatch it. And then we start to debunk it or figure out that it works by testing it on our clients' pages. That's fascinating. So it's, it's like the world in general is changing. So, so like the guy that said, why do you watch the weather channel? He said, because it's always changing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. It's always changing. Okay. It might not be the same as it was. I was getting, um, um, it was about nine months ago, I was getting 20,000 visits a month from, from my, uh, my website for Center Vision. And one day Google changed their algorithm and it went down to eight. There's a significant difference. And so the algorithm makes it what people are, are, are looking at, looking for. So you've opened up a whole new topic of you sort of get what you give. So if you're out there and you're active and you sort of like you got to, like you said, you got to go to the baby showers and you got to go to the birthday parties if you want people to reciprocate. Yeah. And it, it includes uh, the social media itself and the the bots, the the uh, the technology, the the algorithm, all that automated stuff. That you know what what's scary is um, when when you're on there and you look for something, all of a sudden you see a bunch of ads, so you know they're paying attention on what you're doing. It's quite scary. Uh, I get that all the time. Since we run over eighty pages in our agency we get a lot of different things because I'm searching up recipes for clients, essential oils, you know, baby formula. So Facebook thinks that I'm just this holistic social media entrepreneur, mother, dog lover. I mean, they put all this stuff in there and half of it's not me, it's my clients, but they're actively searching for a way to get in front of people and write content in front of people. So if you're talking about a topic a lot, you're going to start seeing it on your, on your social media because it's social listening is what's happening. That's fascinating. They are paying attention. So I want to talk about um, the characters of the different platforms, but I want to do a, a sponsor moment here. Um, we, we offer free free services like this podcast. This is a podcast and a TV show, uh, The Nonprofit Exchange. And we've offered it for seven and a half years. And we've had um, one sponsor with us the whole time. And we have some others, but we like to promote, especially in the area of communications and relationship building, WordSprint. Now we published Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. Here's a couple of issues. Here's our friend Frank Shankowitz, who's no longer with us, who was a motorcycle policeman and he founded uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation because he saw a need. So we as nonprofit leaders find a need and we step out there and we fill that need. So our partner in printing the magazine but distributing the magazine is WordSprint. And you see there's holes in that picture. So WordSprint is, is not only um, a, a, a mailing house, they're a print shop, high quality print, and it's getting in front of the people. So if you run a charity, <clears throat> you run a relig relig <clears throat> religious organization or a business, this is called top of mind marketing. We mail something and it gets in people's hands. It's very different from the digital marketing, but some of the same principles. We let people know we appreciate them by telling them what's happened with their donation money. This is the story. This, what, this is what you made happen. So for 11 months, we send them the reports of what you're doing. Then on the 12th month, it's the time to close the books and get the, those donations in. Those people are going to support you because they're convinced you've done something worthy with their money. So wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team will talk to you about how you can keep your support there, your donors donating and your volunteers volunteering. It's by reaching out and letting them know what's going on and what to expect. Then when you do a call to action, they're gonna get it and they're gonna respond powerfully. So it's wordsprint.com and they'll help you stay in touch with your tribe. So Sarah, we've talked a little bit about some of the platforms, not in really in character and how it's a fit. I, I built um, 250,000 social media followers on multiple platforms. Um, majority of that was on four Twitter accounts for different different niches, niches. And um, my main account, Hugh Blue, I've lost a lot of people that follow me that Twitter didn't like. So I've lost about 60,000 of those followers in the last year. And Twitter kind of cleans up, but there's a very clearly distinctive character for Twitter. And it becomes very volatile if there's something out in, in, the, in the political arena. But um, it's, it's a place that's 
like got a 20 second shelf life. People look at it, it's the bottom line, they respond to it. But I've met some incredible people on Twitter and I've made some incredible connections. So it's been kind of an anchor. LinkedIn is coming up as being a, a next anchor, but there's a whole lot of people shoving things they buy down my throat. I don't even know who they are. So it's just zap, zap, zap. So people misuse it a lot, but there's different character to the different platforms. So if I was just starting out uh, to develop and create a social media strategy, how do you begin to even sort out where to go and which one to start with? Yeah, so we'll revisit some of the things we said a little while ago. Definitely have your name on all the platforms. When I say all the platforms, definitely the bigger ones. So Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Twitter. I think TikTok should be in that list as well. Definitely start there. There are some other social media platforms popping up. There's Clubhouse and a lot of others. Uh, start there as well. I've had great success just getting on there and, and getting active. So then when we think about those different platforms, then you think about what are the analytics behind those platforms? What are the age groups that are on there? How do people digest content? If you're someone that's going to create long form content, docu-series, videos, training videos, clearly YouTube is where you need to be. And that needs to be a focus or that can be a focus. Put the videos there, optimize them. That's where people want to see three, 15, 20 minute, an hour, YouTube videos. I have tons of podcasts that I listen to on YouTube. And so that's a great place to share long form content. The cool thing is that you can then repurpose that same long form content on your Facebook page or your group and on your Instagram. Instagram does allow longer video. Um, I think it's up to 15 or 30 minutes, but it's on Instagram IGTV. And that's where you can have your long form. So that's IGTV is their version of YouTube. If you're someone who's just creating short little motivational speeches or quick types of content, TikTok and Instagram are a great place to be. When people indulge in their Instagram or their TikTok, they're typically looking to be inspired, entertained, kind of quick things. They want quick updates. They're swiping by pretty fast. Not a lot of like long form content going on there. Now there are niches that do have um, longer and more informative posts. And that's a very particular audience. And we can speak to that at some point as well, but uh, definitely want to focus on those platforms for those specific reasons. Now, when you think quick updates, 150 characters, you just want to say a comment, maybe you're commenting on a show while you're watching it, Twitter is the place to do that. Twitter is really kind of like a soundboard and just say it, leave it, drop it. You don't really know what's going to happen there. We don't currently grow TikTok accounts. Like we don't have growth hacks or methods for growth there. It's just something that we use to do cross marketing. So we'll tweet out a motivational quote or we'll tweet out a quote from a podcast, screenshot that, create that into a graphic, which then we then, we then post that graphic on Facebook and Twitter. Sorry, Facebook and Instagram. There's great ways to use your content that you put out, regardless of the platform, you can repurpose it on other platforms. It's just really important to understand how are people digesting content on that platform. If you're on Facebook, and if there was a, an audience I could see here, I would tell you to raise their hand, but I guarantee you most people raise their hand. When we think of Facebook, we think family, connection, friends. It's more of where you get to be you. You don't really care if you get 100 likes or 500 likes. The point is that you just want to like update people with what's going on in your world and in your life. Business pages, it's similar. It has that kind of community feel, especially with Facebook pages. Instagram is where it's almost like there's more there's selfies. People just want to see what happened in the last 24 hours. You keep up with people there, but the mindset when you're on Instagram is slightly different on Facebook. So when we're creating content, posting content, creating our brand, our marketing strategy, you always want to consider what is the type of content I'm putting out? Where am I putting it? How can I then repurpose it on the other platforms? And while you're thinking about repurposing it, keeping in mind how people digest the content when they're on their platform. Where is our mind when we're on Twitter? It's this quick updates. What is it like when we're on TikTok? Quick entertainment. What is it like when we're on Facebook? Connections, information. So when you think about how the platform works, just putting yourself, just think about yourself. What do I do when I'm on Facebook? What do I do when I'm on TikTok? Create the content 
going to apply to that audience. It's going to encourage them to, you know, engage. That's the you want to keep in mind. Encourage them to engage. Mm -hmm. um, um, what do people find? It's sociallightllc.com, the website for social, S-O-C-I-A-L, sociallightllghd, llc.com. I always hate it when people give me a website and it's really fast. And I went, what is that? So I want to be overly cautious. It's a brilliant, brilliantly designed website. And it's, I mean, you practice what you preach. You create really high quality content. Now, when they go there, will they find out any of these things about the different platforms? Or what will people find out when they go to sociallightllc.com? Absolutely. We have, a, we have an amazing blog. This is my opportunity for a little shameless plug. My business partner is an incredible writer. We also have an amazing content writer uh, who helps with, the, with those blogs as well. And we share everything. What it's like to become an influencer. What are things to stay away from? What are the newest trends? Every year we list some projections and we kind of forecast what we think is going to happen. Uh, there's a blog that typically comes out every week. Sometimes we'll, we'll uh, wait a week if we have a really big one coming up or a series coming out. But the blog is tons of helpful, free information, and we keep it current. If we write an article where some of the information on there is dated, we will then redo the article and repost it with new information. So you're not Google searching something and reading it and it's like, oh, this is so helpful. I love all this thing, you know, all this information. And you've been spending, you spent 30 minutes reading this whole article and digesting on social media. And then you scroll to the top and you're like, oh, it was written in 2016 and none of this applies to 2021. We make sure that everything that we're posting is current data, current things we're testing. And it's interesting because one time I remember reading a blog and talking to my team thinking, wow, this is an older blog and we don't do this anymore. And that's what, what made me realize we need to stay on top of it and share what we're learning as we're learning it because it's always changing and evolving. Wow. And you show up as somebody that's a serious student of social media because it's changing all the time. And I like to show up as a student of leadership, although I've made enough mistakes that I ought to be an expert. Um, <laughs> but my world is changing, but it's not as fast as social media. So uh, the blog is on sociallightllc.com and it's free. And you get the latest tips uh, from, from Sarah. Now let's, uh, let's talk about some business principles. You have a team and I'm quite amazed at your team. And I don't know why, because you attract really high quality people. Um, and you've got a really on point strategy. So you operate, uh, this, this is a learning time for nonprofit leaders who want to do it all, who want to be the expert and say, I've got to bless it all. And I've got to, no, you don't have to do, actually, you just need to possess the vision, get the team together and guide the process. Now you happen to be a, a subject matter expert, but you also have, um, so how many people do you have in your team right now? I forget if we're 12 or 13, it, it, it goes back and forth. It also depends when we have interns. We have two interns popping up. So at our highest, we'll be around 18. Sometimes they're seasonal projects. So I'll bring on a ton of videographers or editors. Our core team are managers. So there's myself. I have to do, use my fingers. There's myself, my business partner, Melina, our project manager, Elise. I know they're going to be listening, so they'll see this. Bethany, who's in client relations and account management. And then I have Julia, Karina, and Steven. That is our core. So our clients meet them. Then underneath them, they have awesome content creators, graphic designers, more account managers, assistants, and then we have intern program underneath them. So we're so pretty you, So so this is this is a definitive moment. You have a team for a very good reason, and there's people on your team that know things you don't know about how to do things. So how, how would you say to nonprofit leader how important it is to have skilled people on your team and be very clear about where you want to go with that team? Hugh, you said earlier you've made so many mistakes that you should be an expert in it. I'll tell you, I have made similar mistakes, many mistakes in even just hiring people. And even today, just this morning, I had a call with one of my account managers and I had this epiphany, right? This revelation of, of a new way to run the business. And I'll share it with you because I think it's, it's perfect for this, this moment. I was talking to her and I realized that everyone on my team thinks a little different. They learn a little different. They teach a little different. And that's what I love about my team. They're very, everyone is so different, right? And when we have a client, they think and talk and communicate and learn different ways. So before 
before I used to create it. Well, this account manager works with all the artists and this account manager works all with the holistic brand and this account manager, because it's in the same niche. It's changed over the last several months where this account manager communicates extremely well, over communicates, writes perfect emails, has processes in place. I'm going to match her with a client with the same types of programming, the same type of learning styles. Then if I have someone that's more visual and they like to talk and get on the phone and collaborate, I'm going to connect them with a client for that. The key is not just to hire the right people. It's to hire the right people and put them in the right position. If you hire the right person and put them in the wrong position, you're going to think you hired the wrong person. If you hire the wrong person, well, then that's a, that's a completely different thing. But sometimes it's not, you can't hire a wrong person. You find where their skill set is and you put them there. I get to be a little more flexible on social media, of course. Some people are creative. I put them in creative space. People are more analytical. I put them in an analytical space. Not every nonprofit has that opportunity. But if you put, if you hire someone and you have them in the right position, you're going to see a lot of success from that. We're going to go out in a minute to the classroom in uh, Dallas with Bob Hopkins and let, I know they've been thinking up really hard questions to stump you. So uh, before that, Let's do a, a case study. That's Hugh Ballou, the Nonprofit Exchange. Now, we're streaming this live on Facebook. And as you're talking about it, I'm thinking maybe we should be streaming it live on YouTube. Now, it does go, I do put the edited version on YouTube. So I edit it so that the live piece is on Facebook. And uh, so I don't know. And it's not on Hugh Ballou. It's on Center Vision Leadership Foundation's uh, business page or company page. So um, how, so I've got this really good content with very smart people and um, how do I expand the reach of this? You talked about hashtags. Um, we've talked about different promotional methods. So talk about, so somebody has something they do. It's a live feed, a live, live stream, and they want to get some traction around it. So where do we start and how do we get some traction? That's such a great question. I love taking one piece of content and using it for multiple purposes. So if you're streaming on Facebook and you have a recording, I would definitely stream to YouTube as well. Then you put an edited version. So you'll have your live, then you upload an edited version. By the way, YouTube loves this. The more content you're uploading, the more consistent you are with uploading content, they reward you for that. Then the next step would be go a little further, take the key points out. So you ask a question, I answer the question, you snip that into a one or two minute video. I talk a little long, so maybe it's a three minute video. And the YouTube video is that question, how to stay relevant, how to repurpose your content, how to know what platforms you're on. And it's just that little slice of information. It, it, one person that is a very big podcaster and does this really well is Joe Rogan. It's his team that does it. So we'll give the, the team credit, but he'll have his podcast then he'll slice that bad boy into 50 different pieces of content. So this video could in turn land on all your different social media platforms exactly for the audience. Before we go out to the wild west in Dallas, one more thing, hashtags. Yes. Now, I know how they work on Twitter and I've mastered how to find what's going on with hashtags. I don't know how they work on any other platform. You can use them in LinkedIn and Facebook, I know, but do they work across platforms and are they as effective on every platform? They're not as, as effective on Facebook as they are Instagram and Twitter. Um, YouTube has its own place to put in tags. We're writing, we, we have tons of blogs on hashtags and we're writing a new one on a new tool that we just found that we're using for our clients that we love. And I can't remember the name right now, but I will definitely have it in a blog soon. So make sure you subscribe to that. And uh, there's a couple of key things you want to remember. There's three things. One, you want to have branded hashtags, which is, you know, Synergy Vision or um, Socialite. That's my brand hashtag team socialite then the second one niche hashtags hashtag nonprofit support hashtag social media marketing then you want to have oh by the way the niche hashtags they need to be smaller hashtags like 10,000 20,000 50,000 not these mega massive ones because you're not going to show up there and then you can add some of the bigger ones that are relative to that piece of content so if it's a dog hashtag dogs of instagram hashtag puppy love those types of things so if you think of three different categories when you're posting your hashtags, you'll always put the hashtags that one of them is going to perform for you. So you have your brand specific, your niche that are smaller niches, and then your mega big hashtags that are 
relatable to the post. Well, let's see if uh, we have any people that, that want to share some questions with us. We got Bob Hopkins. Bob Hopkins is a um, dear friend and a thought leader. And Bob, it occurs to me we ought to we ought to have conversation with um, with Sarah later on. How are we going to get we do this uh, thing together? A youth and philanthropy conference. We'll be doing one here in a few months. We need to back up and think about how we're going to get some attention. So Bob's the author of this uh, Philanthropy Misunderstood book, which is sort of the definitive book on philanthropy in the world. Bob, you're with your class today. Do you all have any questions for Sarah? Yes, we have a lot of them. And thank you very much for letting us be here today. Um, by the way, um, Hugh, I am not in Dallas. Um, we are in Collin County, which is Plano. Um, okay. And so I just wanted to tell you, we need to give credit to where credit is due and where we are. But anyway, thank you for being here. This is a, I would like to know, first of all, um, what about age appropriate? And I tell you that because we have a student here today who's 11 years old who happens to be the daughter. And we have parents here who have younger kids too. What does age appropriate mean about Facebook and social media? And what do you advise adults or, or children about this these platforms? That's such a great question. So number one, there's a good thing to do. Start with reading the rules. There are a lot of platforms where if you're 11 years old, you shouldn't have an account. I believe it's 12 or 13. So that's, that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing is that if you're posting content, and when I say adult content, I mean content that's for users that are 18 and over in the sense that maybe it's graphic, maybe it's a surgery that's being performed, maybe it's um, a motivational speaker that had a few cuss words slip in there, right? When you're talking about that, it's very good to make sure that you've included that in the caption somewhere, whether it's some ex you know explicit language being used here or, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram, honestly, they do a good job in putting kind of a filter on it that says this is explicit content. And by explicit, I mean surgeries or things. And I keep bringing that up because I'm a fan of Dr. Pimple Popper <laughs> and she pops like cysts and pimples and stuff. So there's always this little thing that says this is graphic. So it's good for you to know what you're entering into. I also follow a lot of chiropractic pages and they'll say, you know, they'll have a little warning, like, don't try this at home, but just like this. So when you think about creating content that may not be for children or creating content that is for children, there are ways to add in little descriptions or keywords to notify people of that. And then on the other end, if you're a parent, you wanna keep your child safe. There are tons of privacy settings on there. Go through the settings, find out what you want there. YouTube has the, um, you have the ability to mark something as 18 or over, or this is made for children. And so you wanna make sure that you use those tools when you're a content provider. And then if you're on the other end and you're a user and you just wanna keep your children safe, you wanna make sure you go through the guidelines. There's tons of different things set up to protect our children. Things are gonna get out. They're going to see things in the world of social media. It happens. And it's something that I deal with with my team all the time and, and chat with them. Uh, there's no, perfect solution for it. But if you read the guidelines, the rules, and you look at some of the privacy settings, that's probably the best way to keep an audience safe. And then also be a content provider that lets people know what they're going to, what they're going to see on your page. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> that was great. And we have another question here. This is McKenna, who's a student who asks a question, a good one every week. This is McKenna. Howdy. Um, <laughs> With social media's newer like censorship and actions of dismissing posts further down the timeline, if they have like opposing agendas um, compared to the um, po like politically and generally um, yeah. opposed to the platform's agendas themselves, how can people be genuine influencers with this resistance? Yeah, that's such a good question. We deal with this a lot. And it comes down to your community. One thing is I would say, look at the different platforms that are popping up right now. Um, I'm blanking on the platform right now, but there's a, a, a man named Dave Rubin who's on, he has his own, uh, the Rubin Report. And he has, it's called Locals. That's what it's called, Locals. There are platforms where there are safe places to have conversations and communities and you're not 
you don't have to worry about censorship. But I will say this, America is divided in how we think about this. And Facebook is being pressured to serve everyone. And right now, what we just went through, through the politics, the, the elections, post-election, with a lot of censorship happening, you'll see that there's a little bit less censorship now. And that's because there's tons of pushback happening. Right before we went live, I was talking to um, Hugh about faith.facebook.com. They are being pressured by people of faith to create a safe place for us to have a voice too. And same thing with politics. So if you go to faith.facebook.com, you can read more of the tools and the services to, to, um, that you can utilize on Facebook. And there are also these community groups where you set your own rules. The reality is this, somebody owns Facebook, we don't really own our content. When you post it, you don't own it. Your audience, you don't own it. Facebook at any time can take us down. And that's why it's really important to create email lists, your own website, your own blog, look at platforms like locals where they're not treating people that way. And then on Facebook, you have to kind of weed through it and it's difficult. Every day I am challenged with that with some of our clients. And it's something that we're going to learn. A lot of people were boycotting Facebook. I was one that was a little, was really upset and my whole business is around social media, right? So I've had to come up with creative ways to do it. Community groups are safe. You set the rules. Facebook is less involved, but also don't be afraid to apply pressure. When you get something censored on your page, there's an appeal button. Take the opportunity to appeal. And if you look up on YouTube right now, just type in, I'm suing Facebook, I'm suing YouTube. You can see the people that are standing up and saying, this is not right. This is taking away our freedom of speech and different things like that. There are communities that are finding different resources. I'm not a huge um, expert in all the different things that are coming up, but I am staying on top of it as much as I can. And faith.facebook.com is a new one that's just popped up. So Bob, let's have two more short, short ones if possible. Then I want I'll see Mr. Rash here mm. what he's got. Okay, this is Tori. Hi, Sarah. What are the most important things for someone starting an online business to include in their social media page? And what tips do you have to for someone just starting to get their page out there to consumers? Love it. Make it simple, short, sweet, and to the point. Remember those two things. When you're designing your logo, make your logo and your content as clean and simple as possible. People can learn quicker that way. There's not too much clutter. We're talking about the design here. Then when I say short, sweet, and to the point, when you write your bios on your pages, some of us like to get lengthy and talk about our services and what we love and all of that. And the reality is people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. Do bullet points in your bio, do bullet points in your content. So that way people can know right away, I like this or I don't like this. If people feel like they're being sold or it takes too much time to digest your content, they're going to swipe right past it. So I would say that those are great things to think about right from the beginning of the, of the launch of your brand on social media. Kind of like in-person conversations. <laughs> yeah, Bob, one more. You got one, one more. One more, and this is coming from me. Um, you know, I ask a lot of people after I meet them and their brand new relationship, I say, what do you meet? And they say, online. So um, what is the best online platform for people to meet the most quali qualified person for their relationship? LinkedIn pops into my mind first, and that's because there's a professional approach there. And then Facebook community groups, because when they say community groups, it really feels like a community. I'm part of a group that has over 500,000 people in it. It's women entrepreneurs supporting women entrepreneurs, 500,000 people on here. I can't tell you thousands of comments that, have, that are being written on people who ask for help. Hey, I just started my business and I have no idea if I should form an LLC or a DBA and thousands of people will go in there and comment. Find community groups for, for yourself and you'll find so many people. I have met so many power partners from joining communities and, and finding people that are like-minded. Thank you, Bob. That's, those are always, always depend on Bob for good questions. And thank you, class. Mr. Rash, J.E. Rash runs Legacy International for 40 years and three other nonprofits down the road in Bedford, Virginia. Quite an amazing operation. Um, we're running short on time, but I wondered if you had a comment or a quick question, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Sarah, so nice to meet you. And uh, your enthusiasm is infectious and your knowledge.
knowledge is also uh, quite comprehensive. Uh, my concern, I guess, uh, or I'd like to comment on the use of social media as, I mean, it's obvious that we use it for transactional reasons. Uh, that's clear. Right? And for our businesses, for our nonprofits, we serve people all around the world for over 40 years. And, and uh, today, for example, I just gave a talk to 105 young women uh, in our Tech Girls program from 17, uh, 16 different countries. And of course, we're, we're using social media for transactional reasons. But talk to me a bit, if you can, for a minute about how you look at uh, social media for transformational, social transformation as a mo modality for social transformation. Such a good question. I'll try to make this short, Hugh. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little chunker, a lot about the little things, but this is, this is the thing to, to remember the most. There are people searching for the answers that you have. Don't get lost or avoid getting lost in the, the, the noise or the chatter or the communities of groups of the people who are not looking for the answer you have. Look for the people that have the that that are that have the questions. Excuse me. That that have you have the answers to their questions. So we think about social impact. Think about okay, what is the impact I want to put out? What is it that I want to bring awareness to? Who is asking that question? Find those people. Where are they? When you're writing your captions, when you're writing your your um, your uh, descriptions for your YouTube channel, make sure to include those questions. When people go on Google and they go on YouTube, most of their time they're typing in how to, what to wear if, um, home remedies. It's always searching for the answer for their question. So when you're creating your content, your brand, always think about who's the audience asking the question to the answers that I have. If you focus on the opposite, what other people are saying that go against it, you're going to spend more time going up against the current than with it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rash. And uh, I want to connect the two of you by email because I've got a, an agenda about that. So thank you for being here. So Sarah, um, what we put out on social media, we could take down, but it's, there's going to be an imprint out there forever. So there's a liability. We're working for looking for a job or we're applying for a grant for nonprofits and we're doing some funding, we might've said something that might upset somebody, then they won't fund us or we can't get that job. So what's your advice about putting filters on? And we just got one minute here, filters on what you say. Be very intentional with what you say. Remember that what you say could last on there forever. Is your future self going to be okay with what you said? Is your future daughter, future son going to be okay with what you said? Just think about it from that perspective and always think about it from a solution, solution-minded instead of problem-minded. Be intentional. <laughs> Everybody can, anybody can whine, anybody can complain, but can you come up with something that's helpful to say, okay, let's think about this. So you've given me some new insights on having a conversation with people who are not sitting in the room and if we've learned anything in the pandemic is how to leverage our digital communications in a way that we really hadn't tried much before. And now we know which meetings we can have on social, on, on Zoom that we didn't have to go in person for. And we've learned how to save a lot of time and get rid of some stuff we weren't doing. So um, you've opened my eyes to lots of really new opportunities here. So sociallightllc.com, you'll find a wealth of information. And Sarah, I guess there's a contact me uh, place on there. And if people want to want to talk to you, they can find you there, right? On Social Light LLC. Absolutely. So what do you want to leave us with? What's a thought uh, or a challenge or an idea that you want to leave us with today? I challenge yourself. I challenge all of you to trust yourself. When you're thinking about social media, what are the first things that are popping into your mind? What are the first things that are popping in your head? trust yourself. Don't try to be anyone else or avoid trying to be anyone else. Just be yourself. Yeah, that works well. That's, that's a good leadership principle. So <laughs> show up as the leader you are. And back to what yeah. you said at the beginning, authenticity, authenticity uh, reigns. So Sarah, thank you so much. This will be transcribed on thenonprofitexchange.org. You can find the transcription and there's a lot of really good sound bites and sound advice, and you'll get them right here. 
Um, this will be up there forever, I guess. So Sarah, Olia, thank you so much for being our guest on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>